Computer, initialize Holosuite. The trial never ended, Captain. It's time to put an end to your trek through the stars. I'm moving back and forth through time. And we don't have time for this! We have to save humanity! He's Jean-Luc Picard, and if he wants to go on one more mission, that's what we're going to do. We can't stay, Captain. We have to! Everything depends on it! A lot of things can happen in 25 years. Welcome to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast all about Star Trek, the next generation for the Holosuite media. I'm your host, Baz Green, and I'm joined as always by my co-captain, Jeff Owen, for this final ever episode of the podcast. Jeff, how are you? I'm good. A little bit sad, though, because Mm. it's the end of an era. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's the end of Beyond Farpoint here on Holosuite Media. But I think we've had a really good, fun two years, haven't we, talking Star Trek Next Generation? It, it, yeah, we've had a lot of fun uh, doing this. And, you know, we've we've obviously stepped outside Star Trek The Next Generation sometimes as well. <laughs> um, Absolutely, yeah. But always had that as our uh, as our baseline. Yeah, I mean, we've had some great chats. I've, I love talking about Frame of Mind with yourself that was a really good fun one wasn't it yeah yeah yeah. talking talking about the Ferengi was a lot of fun as well for their early appearances yeah and discovering that the first two thirds of the last outpost was actually pretty good before the Ferengi turned (laughs) up as well that was a surprise yeah I know um but you know what my favorite episode was when we spoke to Eric Stilwell about yesterday's enterprise we learned so much about what is both yours and my favorite episode as well as finding out just the work that he did on things like Shades of Grey and Prime Factors, mm. and of course the work he did with Disney as well. What, what about you? What, what have you? Be, what have been your highlights? Yeah, I mean, def, definitely, yes, his Enterprise. Um, I thought um, talking technology failures with Jim Morehouse from Tech, Trek Ranks, and obviously Jim wasn't there as well. That was that was a good fun episode. Yeah, I enjoyed that um, too. Yeah, and obviously the one I did with Jem, talking mental health in Star Trek mm. on the show with Jem, who's a therapist as well, as well as a Star Trek fan, and uh, that was really good to get into that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that one, talking to the Cardassians and Chain of Command, that was a, you know, that's a really great episode, and really good fun talking of it. And of course, I remember Picard season three review with Rob Turnbull a few weeks ago as well. That was a really good, I know we, it's been nice that we've actually been able to cover all of, we've kind of become a next gen and a Picard podcast, so yeah. we obviously we, we've done. We did a season two review. We looked back at season one, and it was really fun. I think just uh, looking at uh, the last t- ten weeks of what has been a really fun season as well. So that was really good to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. We went really from Picard's journey all the way from Encounter at Farpoint to the Last Generation. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, before we get into uh, today's final episode, we want to express our thanks to everyone who has listened to the podcast, mm-hmm. um, all our guests, of course, and of course, uh, Steve Roberts and Carl West, who uh, 
really gave us a chance hosting what was our first ever podcast. Um, not as the Holocene Media, but anywhere. I'm, I know yeah. we, we've both done a lot of our podcasting since, but this is our first one as host. So uh, I, I'm pretty chuffed with all the content we've put out. We didn't quite reach Next Generation's episode counts of 178 episodes and four no. movies. But you know what? It has been a fun ride. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, Steve. Cheers, Kyle, for uh, giving us our chance here. Um, and yeah, you, you got us into this world of podcasting. And, you know, we'll talk about it a bit later. But for us, the journey is going to continue. But for Beyond Farpoint, the journey is coming to an end. But um, absolutely, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, it's all going to be here. I mean, we've got we'll have twenty four episodes and and the teaser as well. So really, twenty five episodes, really nice round number 24 there. So and all, twenty four and a bit, yeah. And so all the episodes are going to be here on Horror Media, and um, and hope people have been saying enjoyed listening to them, and we've enjoyed recording them, and uh, we're there to go back and listen to again if you haven't done so already. So. Uh, yeah, so for this final episode, it felt appropriate to finish off with all good things. The uh, yeah. two-part finale that capped off Star Trek The Next Generation seven-year run. So listeners may remember that we did talk about the episode briefly in our Q episode back in 2021, but we wanted to give the attention it deserves. It's a, you know, it's, it's a big episode, a big finale, and I think also in light of what's happened in Picard Season 3 and The Last Generation as well, some lovely callbacks there. So... Mm. Before we go into the detail of all good things, Jeff, what are your general thoughts on the episode? I think I mentioned it back when we briefly discussed it on the Q episode. There was there were rumours going round before the episode came out that it was going to be Q having engineered the whole seven thing as part of the trial, um, Picard's uh, humanity trial. And I remember people thinking, oh God, if, if it turns out to be all having been orchestrated and uh, and designed by Q, it, it's going to be a bit of a weak story. But thankfully mm. it wasn't the case. I mean, it turned into this great movie-length episode. It wasn't all premeditated by Q. Uh, we ended up with a fantastic story which paid tribute over all seven seasons, you know, it, we had characters come back that we hadn't seen for several seasons. Mm. We had a, a, tri- a, a an idea of what Next Generation could have become 25 years later. And now, obviously, we've had three seasons of Picard. We've been able to compare and contrast exactly what they thought the future was going to be and now what the future actually was. Um, so yeah, it was it was good to go back and watch this again after seeing all of Picard, mm. but it doesn't take away from the fact that it was a damn good finale to begin with, probably one of the best on television. And I, you know that's not hyperbole. I genuinely think that was one of the best series final episodes on television. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree, and I think you're right as well. If you look at kind of a any kind of these online articles. I used to write some of them in the past as well. If you look at kind of what are the greatest TV finales, there's always a good chance all good things is going to pop up. And I kind of rightly so. It is, it's a great celebratory finale, and uh, and it still holds up. And actually, Picard and the Last Generation hasn't diminished no this finale at all. At all, it's still a lovely send off to the season. I think you're right. I think 
what you were saying about the rumours about Q orchestrating it, I, th- I think it becomes particularly more complicated when they knew Voyager was on the way and you had DS9. So it's like, you know, where does that go? Where does that end as well? So I guess in the same way, I think with DS9, they were going to do possibly it was all going to be in Benny's mind. And again, it kind of, these ideas, they sound great in principle, very contrived and kind of in practice. So I, th- I think it was the right thing not to have that. But at the same time, I love the full circle nature, literally, of all good things the fact that we are going back to the pilot episode we're going back we're visiting encounter at far point an episode we have gone into detail um way back at the beginning of this podcast as well so yeah it's it's a great finale lovely callbacks so many again like picard there are some nice moments like tasha yar you know there were the kind of jokey references to what the day-to-day goings on of the enterprise as well i think from q i love q's narrative on that uh, and also having q as well i'm going back to that brilliant judge's outfit and the whole trial mm. of humanity it's it goes back without diminishing anything that's come before so yeah it's a it's a terrific finale yeah um i mean there's a there's a whole room of characters that i don't think gets the credit it deserves for this because they try to get as many of the extras in q's courtroom uh, back for this final episode um, unfortunately they weren't completely successful some members of the extras team had passed away uh, some had moved on some didn't do that job anymore but you know you compare the courtroom scenes and encounter at Farpoint and all good things and you can definitely spot that there are people that they've brought back so mm. it's it's a lovely sense of yeah p- pay in tribute all the way back to seven seasons to that first episode yeah absolutely yeah so let's, let's get into it then. So All Good Things Then was written by Brennan Braga and Ronty Moore and directed by Reinrich Colby. It aired on the US on the 23rd of May 1994 and the 19th of June 1996 in the UK. So yeah, in this episode, Picard finds himself travelling through three time periods, the maiden voyage of the Enterprise D, the present and 25 years in the future, as he learns from you that humanity's trial has finally ended and they've all been found guilty. So... Yeah, we, we, we've talked about it already. All Good Things is right regarded in the pantheon of great TV finales, and there's a lot packed into this story. So what do you think of the uh, kind of go right back to the beginning, the pre-tart sequence, and does it work as a narrative hook for, for this finale too? The weird thing was going back to it is um, seeing the Worf and Troy relationship because that yeah. wasn't something that ever really caught me. It, it, it didn't really convince me towards the tail end of Next Generation. But you could see that there was definitely something, there was definitely some love going on between the two characters. And what I quite liked is Picard bursting in on them, going, what's today's date? What's the date? And you know that he's already living the Mm. episode at this point. He's already jumping between um, time zones. So this isn't a case of suddenly it's just starting to happen. We don't know how long this has been been actually affecting Picard it could have been going on for days for all we know but suddenly bang we're thrust into it and then we get the opening credits Picard's obviously confused um because he doesn't know what time zone he's in anymore and already he's got that confusion on his face so yeah it's it's a great hook and definitely makes you want to carry on watching after the opening definitely credits. yeah and we'll, we'll probably talk more about the wharf and troy's romantic relationship as we get to the with Riker as well but uh yeah, yeah i mean i mean it is a good hook and you know, the idea, I, I i do like that the episode jumped straight into it i'm not sure we'll come come to kind of the the final scenes and it, does it really make sense where it kind of starts and where it ends but i think what i really like about it is it, it doesn't start with the whole uh 
Picard going, oh, what's going on here? This seems a bit strange, and this happens, and this happens. It's it's already there, and he's reacting back, moving back and forth through time. And I think that was really effective. It gives a great pace, and there's a terrific pace to all good things. The script is so definitely done. The direction is great, and it, I love that he jumps straight into the action rather than it could have been. You know, this could have been an extra half hour on top of of kind of Picard reacting to the beginning. But I like that it goes uh, straight into that. Yeah, just uh, on top of that as well, you. Um, we've obviously got that hook where it's already happening to him. It could have been so easy as well for the writers to have gone 48 hours yeah. early when they came back from the credits and just basically taken us back to the start of it. And I don't know, I may be in the minority here, but I always feel like the 24 hours earlier, 48 hours earlier thing at the end of a cold open um, as of an action-packed mm. or confusing cold open, and you get that 24 hours earlier. I always think that's a bit of a cheat. It can um, be. I, I think it's massively, massively overused. I think the show that I think does it yeah. very well, but even they overuse it, was the TV show Alias. And if you've seen that spy drama with Jennifer Garner from the early 2000s, and they do it all the time. But I think, for the most part, it, it can be really exciting of what the hell is going on, and then jump back and find your way mm. to to that moment. And sometimes it can it can be really fun. What they get to there, I don't think it was necessary at all. And I, I, I think it is an overused trope on TV. And so I like that they yeah. they, they don't they don't mess around with that. They literally carry on from where where we already are. There was a particularly funny one I saw the other day, actually, because we've been watching Supernatural from oh, the yeah. beginning. And there's an episode where uh, Sam and Dean end up time traveling back to uh, wild uh, the Wild West. Um, and you've got a, what looks like the gunfight at the OK Corral, you know, mm. high noon, um, meet at high noon for the gunfight, and then they come back from the credits, and it says 72 hours earlier, and about 150 years later. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a very funny one. But, yeah, uh, it, 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 it can it can be done well. It can mm. be really fun to do it, but, um, yeah, it is overused, and I say, I think it kind of... Uh, it worked. They didn't go down that kind of trope with this as well. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say we've we've had a whole tangent on this, and they didn't do it in this episode. So. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Could be a long yeah. episode. Not as long as our Picard season three. That was our longest episode we've ever done. But uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the uh, first act then. So we are introduced to three timelines. What do you think of the scenes with the older Geordie Picard in the vineyards, and uh, and then obviously then you've got Picard and Tasha on the shuttle? What do you think of those kind of two scenes? It's interesting that Picard ends up in that vineyard, whichever timeline mm. we end up in. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's nice to see that some things stayed the same. Because Picard is obviously a happy man at this point. He's, he's left Starfleet behind him. Geordie turns up and he's, you know, it, he says to him, Oh, Captain, there's a problem with... And he plucks something out of the air at random and he just goes, Oh, some other thing. Um, how are you doing, Captain? Or should I say, Ambassador? And he goes, yeah, how about John Luke? And you think, yeah, these these are people that haven't just served together for seven years and four movies. Okay, the movies haven't happened yet. These are people that are genuine friends, and mm. that friendship has endured for all that time. Um, yeah, I, I, I really liked it as well. Yeah, you what's really remarkable as well is that we we do. I'm slight tangent here. When we talked about Picard season three, the one thing we felt was really good was there was a gap in time between the movies and Picard season three. So you got a sense of the history and progression mm. develop other characters in the same way that like Kirk and his crew had it in the original movies. 
And obviously, next gen because of the, the, these these are four movies, which I think all happen within a space of like six to eight years after Next Generation. There isn't yeah. really any progression of the characters. But what I like here in in All Good Things is you get a sense of what they would be like had they had further development. And mm. what was really really interesting for me as well was seeing how closely Picard season three tucked into elements. Like Geordie has a daughter called Alandra in Sydney. I was like, a com- obviously. A completely, obviously, it meant nothing to me in every other time I've watched uh, Next mm. Generation, watched all good things. This time, it's like, wow, it was, or he was always going to have Sydney in a lounge and Brent, a son called Brent as well. I'm really hoping, in you know, we never saw in Picard, and I assume in Star, if the Star Trek Legacy thing happens, we might see her. But I really hope his wife isn't Leah Brahms because that is incredibly creepy. I know we've already covered Geordie and Leah in a previous episode, but I was a. Uh, yeah, I find the whole Leah is his wife now really, yeah. really odd. Yeah, we uh, we spoke about that uh, obviously when we uh, when we spoke about Geordie in that episode. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's ick, isn't it? It after, is after Geordie and Br- uh, Leah Brahms in uh, Booby Trap and Galaxy's Child, and you see the computer simulation. And then his behaviour towards the real Leah Brahms in Galaxy's Child, you just think, there's no way on this earth she would let him come anywhere near her. No, absolutely. I mean, it kind of works. I mean, if this is all kind... I mean, I, I, it's really unclear as how much was kind of engineered and how much is just naturally... If this is, what, this is the timeline that would have evolved. Because mm. it's a very different timeline as well. I, I love the fact that Alandra and Sydney are there. So his daughter's... He has daughter Alandra and Sydney in whatever time frame is great. And he has his kind of robotic eyes now, which he gets in the movies. Mm. But I think this is definitely, for, for example, this is definitely a timeline where we never had the Enterprise E. We know that because you've got Enterprise D, that souped up with Riker. He, he brings it, you know, he, he started from being decommissioned and with the extra nays and stuff. And I know we'll mm. talk about that at a later point. So we never had the Enterprise E. So we never had the, the Enterprise D crash landing on Viridian 3. So everything in the movies pretty much never happened or happened very, very differently. So yeah, it's don't really forget we also didn't have the Enterprise F or the G. <laughs> well exactly, yeah. Because well this is what interesting because because actually isn't this time I mean like four years before Picard season one, I think. Um no, I think it is actually the same time as Picard season three, because both of them refer to twenty five years. Um That can't be right, surely though, because it was wasn't he like twenty years after Nemesis or something? He hadn't seen Beverly in twenty years, and there's a good like, I'm sure because Picard season three is like twenty four oh two, isn't it? Now we're getting the real kind of geeky uh, Star Trek <laughs> timelines here, but this is twenty three seventy one. I want to say. Let's have a look. Let's see what Memory Alpha has to say. Well, then. Right. Okay. Because that, that was the one thing I didn't do was actually yeah. look to see. Because I'm, I'm pretty certain Picard season one is set in 23. as the end of the 24th century. Okay. Um. According to Memory Alpha, the future scenes take place in 2395. Right. right yeah. It's six years before Picard season three. So there you go. It's so we're, we're much closer to Picard territory. We've we've all good things, mm. and uh, it's a. Uh, it's interesting how it's a very different time with with those kind of similarities. So yeah, what about um, the scene with Tasha, Yar, and Picard on the shuttle uh, as they fly towards Enterprise D? We're going to talk about Tasha Yar again. Um, 
No, no cedar today though. No that, cedar. That's it. Cedar's mentioned and gone. We're not gonna mention cedar again. <laughs> I, I was gonna say something like, didn't she play some sort of Romulan character? Yeah, something like um, that. <laughs> do you know what? I remember watching this episode first time round and seeing Tasha Yar um, brought a, brought a smile to my face back then mm. because we hadn't seen her since yesterday's Enterprise. We hadn't no. seen this Tasha Yar sort of since Skin of Evil, and yeah, it was really good to see her again. And I think Denise Crosby had a great time bringing the character back as well. Mm. And yeah, it was it was lovely to see her again. And I don't know what what more to say on that one. It was yeah. just a a really nice moment to see Tasha Yar back. It was, and there's a genuine. I mean, she's she's again because it's seven years on. Some of the woodenness has gone from the character that was in a lot of the performances. Yeah. So you again, you kind of like with yes, Enterprise, you kind of get a sense of who the Tashiar would have been as she continued on the show. And it was wonderful to see her again, and, I, and I, it's brilliant to have kind of Tasha back, really going full circle. I know people say, "Where, where, where was she in, in Picard season three? You know, was it going to be Cena? I mean, yeah, that lovely touching moment to Tasha with, with Data's memories, anyway." Mm. But I think for the next gen itself as a TV series, it was a wonderful way to bring her back and honour her legacy as well. And again, it kind of again like when when Picard goes back to the present, he says to Troy, "I was just with Tasha in the shuttle," and that immediately kind of dates where we are, which is great in that one year time frame. So that's really good. The other thing as well, I I love the flyby and the music. You know, we we did we (laughs) we never we never got you know proper movie style flybys of the Enterprise D. It was already I mean it's a a beautiful opening shot of the Enterprise D in the pilot episode, but it's already already out there in motion. So I I I like a good flyby and um, when it's in dock, and it was really nice to see that too. Not not quite as long as the motion pictures fly by, but we'll we'll forgive no, that because it because was lovely. This wasn't a three hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As beautiful as the flyby in motion picture is. It it is funnily enough, I did a rewatch recently of uh, the motion picture and it is it's it's just really, really glorious to look at. Hmm. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Um a ship fly by yeah, will always put a smile on my face. And something yeah. as gorgeous as the Enterprise D is, mm. you know, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, I think, you know, just having those scenes, having Geordie in the future and then Tasha Yar in the past, I think it's a really effective way of setting up the mystery and the scope of the story. But did you know there were plans for a fourth timeline too that was quashed by Michael Pillar for overcomplicating the plot? No, I didn't. What was the fourth timeline going to be? Ah, I thought you your your uber knowledge would know this, but yeah, and I was surprised to read this when I was looking at the episode. It was actually they were going to jump into him being Lacutus of Borg, and apparently oh. Hugh was going to rescue him from the collective. I'm not sure how this would have worked in the context of the story. I guess when you're talking Star Trek's greatest hits, you've got Q, you've got the the scope and the program, the pilot in the future. I can see why there was a temptation to go in to tap into best of both worlds, which is. Next gens, even though it's what we prefer, yes, as Enterprise, I think Best of Both Worlds is probably Star Trek Next Generation at its most iconic. Mm. So I can see why they were going to use that. Bring back Hugh as well. Hugh was going to save him from the collective, save Locutus, somehow, somehow save Picard. But I don't really know what purpose that would have been. And certainly the whole thing with Devon system, I don't think that would have worked at all. No. Um, would he have been Locutus? No, you said that Hugh was meant to have rescued him 
but maybe he wasn't. I don't Hugh know. just yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Hugh kind of wakes him up. I I, I don't know. So mm. it's interesting because obviously Hugh was only kind of separate from the collective and gained individuality because of the events of um, I Borg in yeah. uh, season five. So I don't know how that would have worked, but it, it would have been quite cool. But I, I as much as that sounds great, it's maybe no other thing like Q mastermind and everything. It's it's a bit a little too much in the pot, and I think. What this episode does quite well is restrain itself in its approach as well. It hits the notes just right. Yeah. So the bulk of the first half is taken up by these uh, three uh, different timelines before we get to Q himself. So, shall we? Let's, let's talk about the different timelines in the first half of the episode. I know it's kind. It can. It has been shown as two parts, but also it's generally shown as a feature length. But let's talk about those first timers. Let's start with the present. Then, what did you think of the scenes, particularly with Jean Luc and Beverly in the first half? You know, again, particularly in light of what we saw them in uh, Picard season three. There was a particular line that Picard says to uh, Beverly Crusher, and in hindsight, it's a very, very poignant line where Picard says to her, you're going to have to put up with me for a long time to come. Mm. And knowing that after... After Nemesis... Eight years max? yeah. Yeah, maybe eight years max, yeah. They don't see each other for twenty years. It's particularly poignant now, as, mm. as yeah, as we know that future. It um, it, it puts that scene in a whole new context. When I watched it today, yeah, it's it's a it's a great moment, and it kind of harks back to it then with Picard season three when they when Doctor Crusher diagnoses Jack Crusher and realizes that. At first, they think that he's got Eremotic Syndrome as well. Mm. And it's sort of beat for beat when they say, well, it's not a death sentence, you know, you can go on and have a long and happy life. And I was thinking, I've seen this recently in Picard Season 3. And and it is, it's beat for beat, the same sort of scene. But it's still as as emotional, it's it's still as um, important a scene. Yeah, I think watching all good things as well, you can see a how much of a fan Taylor Matthias was yeah. when it came to craft Picard season three, and how much he draws upon it. There's so much in this finale that feels relevant or ominous or kind of oh that kind of relates to this with Picard season three that you you wouldn't yeah you know, I mean, that's what and that's one thing I always like a, a good sequel or prequel either way like Rogue One to Star Wars for example. A new kind of prequel or sequel story should always put the kind of the original story in a new if it's good enough, can reframe a story in a new light. And that's one thing I really like about this. I'm looking forward and we are gonna talk about our future Star Trek podcasting plans, and I'm sure we'll go again to mm. it. But I'm I'm actually looking forward to looking at more next generation episodes in yeah. the future in light of Picard's because I think all good things is really yeah, this is the first time we hear about that Iromodic syndrome. And we saw the kind of the outcome of that in Picard Season 1 with his death and resurrection, and then the whole twist with the Borg and the genetic assimilation stuff in Season 3 as well. So again, that, that's really, really interesting that you uh, that these things here have huge amount of relevance and gravitas when you put them like for like with the third mm. season of Picard. The other thing as well, that, that scene in the ready room, there's an int- intimacy that we never saw after this episode until... Season three deals with their relationship. Yeah. We talked about before how Crusher was kind of wasted in the movies. And I think the one thing I really like about all good things 
is that we've been building and building and building this will they won't they particularly in season seven there's an episode when they were attached aren't they that kind of really starts to tap into mm. a possible romantic relationship between them and this is the episode that really kind of goes for it yeah and then just gets dropped forever until Picard season three so again I like how I like the intimacy of these two characters and Gates McFadden and Patrick Stewart are really good in these scenes together yeah because obviously Crusher doesn't get much to do in the movies uh, which is a shame you know we we barely see her in generations she's shows up for a few scenes in first contact insurrection she I think she does have a couple of scenes where she fires weapons at these probes which are attacking them nemesis again she barely shows up and yeah she gets she gets the final story which i think is deserved as well because mm. season three of picard is more about their relationship and and jack crusher and what's come of it so yeah yeah it's something that we needed but we didn't get for 25 years yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and of which all good things teases. I mean, we we show this alternate future where they got married. Yeah, I guess that's it. It was like you know, again, things change very differently in this timeline. We assume well, the Enterprise D was never destroyed. Certainly, events the movies may have played around differently. Crush didn't run off for twenty years. Mm. They got married and then got divorced, and it's a very, very, very different timeline. But yeah, you know, that future pays off this. But we had to wait to Picard season three to actually get it in the kind of the. the uh, prime timeline whatever you want to call it for this yeah. show. I mean weirdly she does end up doing the same kind of thing even though she is a Starfleet captain in charge of a medical ship in the future timeline mm. and all good things she's still doing the medical stuff she's still being like Doctors yeah. Without Frontiers in, uh, in Picard season 3 and obviously for that whole 20 year period so it's still in her, but she's not been able to do it with Starfleet. So, yeah, yeah she's she's still the physician. She's still the person in charge. She's still the captain. Yeah, dif- different strokes, but, yeah, the same person. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, obviously, in the first half as well, we get the, uh, the fleet-wide yellow alert as the Romulan Warbirds deploy the neutral zone. And we heard the first reference to the Devon system, which comes really important in the second half. And we were also going on, we get more of the Wharf and Troy relationship and Riker's awkwardness around them. So we've talked, we've touched, let's, let's, let's talk about it. What do you think of the Wharf and Deanna relationship? Horrific. Honestly, <laughs> horrific. I don't know why they did it. I mean, um, they seem to have a thing with Star Trek about these really weird relationships towards the end of yeah. the run. Because you had the Chakotay and Seven of Nine stuff happening yes. in Voyager. To Paul and Trip as well from Enterprise, which I never, I was never really a fan of. Neither. It was better, but it was still a little bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, yeah, even with like, I mean, I, I love Odo and Kira when they when they're together. That works. It works brilliantly, mm. but I found the lead up to them getting together. I kind of, I never really bought that Kira loved Odo in that way until they're t- they were together and it worked. You know, it's the the, the best one. Obviously, is Jadzia, Dax, and Worf. Yeah, a much better relationship. And uh, yeah, I, I I adore the. I think that's probably my favorite romantic pairing. Uh, more, you know, than the other characters is Jadzia and Worf. I think they're a great, great couple. Mm. I'll put another relationship in there, which I think really works as well. And that's Paul Stamets and Hugh Culper in Discovery. Yes, that's yes. a really good relationship as well. Yeah, and a absolutely. And believable one. 
definitely, yeah. So, yeah, two really good relationships. And going back to Worf, that chemistry that Terry Farrell and Michael Dorn play yeah. as Worf and Dax is electric. It is so much fun, which makes her death in DS9 so heartbreaking yeah. because they are wonderful together. And you look at that relationship, you look at their wedding and all the stuff that goes on there, and then you look at Worf and Troy and you go, what the heck? <laughs> it makes no sense. I almost wonder, was that relationship seeded so they could pay off in this finale? But maybe I'm giving the writers too much credit because they never really thought that way. You know, even a good writers like, like obviously, Ronald D. Moore's involved in this. He's a great writer. Mm. We've done an episode on Ronald D. Moore as well before. But I, it kind of almost feels like all those scenes of setting up the Wharf and Deanna Troy relationship over the second half of Next Gen's final season are about the impact in this finale and in particular with Riker but I'm not I'm I'm not sure that was ever really that planned. Yeah, it seems to be that they did the episode Parallels which is one of my favorite episodes as well. Love that one. Um and Worf and Diana are obviously in a relationship in that episode and it comes as a complete shock to Worf because he's obviously never looked at Diana Troy in that way. But then it seemed like they kind of assumed that's what was happening. And suddenly Wolf and Deanna Troy are in a relationship together. Mm. And yeah, it, it just felt like it came out of the blue. And yeah, I think it it, it even takes Riker um, by surprise in this one and said, oh, you know, do you fancy going for dinner later? No, we're, uh, we're off to do something in the holodeck later. And uh, yeah, I think um, I think it even surprises Riker on that one. It surprises Riker. Um, I think it surprises Riker as much as the audience. But of course, then they drop it like a hot potato. In generations, there's no hint of Worf and Troy being in a relationship. But I don't, I'm not sure they necessarily planned to have Worf in DS9 at this point. Mm. Um, good year or so before he joins joins the crew of DS9. But uh, yeah, it's very much there. We, we get to all good things and then we never mention it again. In the same way they never mentioned, to be fair, Picard and Crusher until Picard Season 3 comes around. So Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, they, they kind of do because when Worf rescues Riker and Troy from the uh, Shrike in Season 3 of Picard, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he does have that moment of, oh, I've, you know, I've looked forward to seeing you again. I've not stopped thinking about you. And mm. Riker's got the line of, is is this a rescue or is this the torture still? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he still holds a bit of holds a bit of a candle to her. Not a, not a sub rosa candle, but he still holds a candle. No. <laughs> um, but in that time he's obviously had the relationship and the loss of Jadzia as well so um yeah. no it it never worked for me but Jadzia yeah. was a better fit for him yeah by a mile absolutely <laughs> <laughs> not just one <laughs> no but like a, like a whole planet's worth <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> several light years yeah how, how far do we how do we go um so yeah Let's talk about the future next, um, which is where the episode really, I think, has fun mm. as well, particularly in the first half. What do you think of the visit to Data in Cambridge and his <laughs> housekeeper, Jessel? Oh, it's so funny. Just this one scene. Data's become this crazy cat lady um, as well. There's cats mm. everywhere. He's got a skunk stripe in his hair because he can't... Yeah, that line, 
we, yeah, you're convinced him to take the grey out of his hair. He looks like a bloody skunk. It is so. I mean, <laughs> Pamela Kosh, who plays Jessel, is it's so cliche, but it's so funny. Yeah. I, I I adore. That's, that's possibly my favourite line in the whole episode. <laughs> that's it. I mean, it's um, it reminds me of Pepe Le Pew. The, the Looney Tunes mm, character. Yeah. Because, yeah, he's got that white streak in his hair, and it, it is. It's a skunk uh, line. Um, you just think that he's done the same as Pepe Le Pew and walked under a door which has got wet paint on it. <laughs> she offers Picard tea, and his first response is Earl Grey hot. Like, of course it's hot. <laughs> just What do you want in it? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want in it? And then he complains yeah. that it's like Darjeeling. Oh, it, it's... It's hilarious, but it's sad to know that's not what Data turned into. Mm. Because obviously, well, Nemesis. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a hilarious, hilarious scene to go back and watch. It is. It's very funny. It's completely cliched, and uh, he lives in the house of Isaac Newton in this very. It, it reminds me of the uh, Sherlock Holmes Harlick episodes. It's like it's like he's. He's taken that and just lived it now, and it, it which which is very fun, but it's there's no subtlety at all to any of that. that Isn't moment. it the same position as well? What he did was the same thing that um, uh, Stephen Hawking ended up doing. Quite possibly, yeah. Because um, possibly. obviously we'd seen Stephen Hawking in Descent. I think this was another nod to um, to Professor mm. Hawking because I'm I'm pretty sure that Data ends up doing exactly the same job that Hawking did. Oh, that's nice. I love that, yeah. And of course, we get the scene with Admiral Riker as Picard sets off on a mission to the Klingon-controlled neutral zone, and Captain Beverly Picard of the USS Pasteur as well. So what do you think of all those scenes? Um, I loved seeing the fact that Worf just was going, nope, you're not, being, you're not allowed in, yeah. not happening. And as I was watching it, I kind of thought that what we're seeing with... Riker, Worf and Geordie for that matter kind of mirrored in Picard season 3 because Riker was the one going mm. yeah let's do it and Worf was going yep yeah, fine we're up for it and Geordie was the one going nope not going to happen mm. not going to do it whereas in this one Geordie's the first one to go right come on let's go and it's Worf and Riker that are the ones going no we're not doing it it's too yeah. dangerous but fair play on Worf it's a case of well if you are you're going to take me with you <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very yeah. fun. But yeah, what do you think of the US Pasteur? It's it's such a gorgeous ship. Do you know about the whole design of the ship and where the original idea comes from for this? So wasn't wasn't there similar designs in the original series? No, um, there's an original design that the Enterprise. This is Kirk's Enterprise. Uh, yeah. Was going to look like this, but over the over the evolution, they changed it so it became more oh. saucer with a secondary hull and two warp nacelles. But they yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, yeah, yeah. But they used the design of that concept as what was the Daedalus class of ships, and it ended up in uh, things like the Star Trek Encyclopedia, Star Trek Chronology, uh, which are Michael Akuda, Denise Akuda, Rick Sternback. Um, all these things of the history of the Enterprise, the idea being that previously, before the Constitution class, there was the Daedalus class, and that was the design right. of it. But they brought that back. They designed the Olympic class Pasteur from those designs. Obviously, uh, 1990 them up a bit, uh, and 
that's how we end up with the ship. It's a really nice looking ship. It's so different mm. to anything that we've seen yeah. um, because we're so used to the saucers and suddenly we've got this ball-shaped primary hull. Which I, I guess is lots of like sick bays and medical facilities. I guess that's the point of it. Yeah, so. it's, it's a hospital. It, it's a flight. I, I, I love the design. And yeah. the fact that it's got the medical symbol over it as well. Yeah, mm. it's, it's an absolutely gorgeous looking ship. Um, I know, I've seen people not like it, but no, it's a really nice looking ship. The uh, the uh, Pastor. Yeah. And a great name as well. Yeah, it is. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, I think um, it's, again, those scenes when they're reunited mm. and you see the older Beverly as well. Very different Beverly to the one we see in a in obviously uh, Picard season three. <laughs> yeah, you get the moment as well where that um, ensign or lieutenant crawls across and goes Captain Picard, and they both yes. answer, and suddenly you realise that she's kept the name, and I, you kind of think that mm. must hold some sway, even though she's not married to Jean Luc anymore. There must be you know that yeah. element of yes, she is still Captain Picard. Mm. So yeah, I t- I. Yeah, and there's a yeah, there's a fondness in the yeah. reunion as well. Even though they are obviously divorced mm. as well, they're not. It's not. It, it, I'm assuming for the most part, it's an amicable divorce probably because they are quite uh, fond of each other as well. In the same way, they kind of got that. So like, the passing of time, the separation, but also that kind of fondness you get with the characters when you get mm. together again in uh, Picard season three. I know we're going. We're talking a lot about Picard season three, but I guess it makes sense. This is kind of like Picard season three was almost like. The final version of the timeline we see here was yeah. a few years later, but yeah, it's very much the actual here. the actual timeline as opposed to a possible one. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Obviously, then we've got the past as well. It's Picard arrives on the Enterprise D. What do you think of the scene in the shuttle bay where he calls a red alert? Uh, it's nice to see O'Brien again for the uh, yes. for the first time since um, early in season six, and he's now back with the ensign pip as well. The, the wrong pick mm. from the start. Yeah, I know they purposely did that as well, didn't they? Rather than just kind of make him a, a chief anyway, yeah. but, or chief petty, or petty officer. But they still called him chief, and I do like um, as well that, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but uh, the fact that Picard absolutely 100% trusts him to do, to, to yeah. do the engineering stuff before Geordie uh, arrives uh, at Farpoint. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really nice. What I compared it to, again, because I've seen motion picture recently, and you see the scene in the, I want to, it's not the briefing room, it's a a big shuttle bay type set, and you see the hundreds and hundreds of extras who are Mm. the crew of the Enterprise, which is only a couple of hundred people. And the Enterprise yeah. D has got over a thousand people, and there's about twenty people <laughs> in this uh, <laughs> yeah. in this room. It also reminded me uh, recently of the first episode of the Orville, where Ed Mercer comes on board and speaks to his assembled uh, bridge yeah. crew. But yeah, it's um, it's the scene we didn't get from Encounter at Farpoint, and I quite mm. like that we're now seeing these. Moments yeah. that we didn't get to see. Yeah, his arrival, the flyby and taking command. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it's the admiral who uh, basically signs command over to Picard as well. He's a Norsati. Yes, I did. Sorry, um, yeah. I, I, sorry, yeah. I was thinking of Nakamura, but that's later on, isn't it? Yeah, that's later on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, I'd forgotten that. Thank you. <laughs> Which again is a love. I, I love how you know those things. 
doesn't really mean a lot, but at the same time, it's nice little references to her. I mean, she was in the um, Drumhead, wasn't she? Yeah, great episode. Yeah, it was a great, great episode, absolutely. And um, I like how the episode seeds in all those moments that kind mm. of just... That again, it, I think the way it planted it, not as much, I think, as Picard Season 3, but there's lots of little nostalgic Easter eggs for the fans of the show who've been paying attention to go, oh, I remember this character, or I remember that character. Some VG like Tasha and obviously O'Brien, which is lovely. Some other characters come. Again, it makes the world feel more alive as well. Yeah. So it's, it's clear, obviously, that the uh, crew are absolutely baffled by his, his irrational decision makers, Captain. What do you think of the scenes with. Uh, you mentioned well, obviously already um, O'Brien, but obviously the, the stuff with Troy and Worf mm. and Tashiar and O'Brien and obviously Data's debut in engineering mm. too. Well, obviously he gets one of his um, I don't know if they're hallucinations or whatever when he sees the the people in the courtroom start to appear yeah. um, in the timeline and he calls Red Alert um, at that very moment. And, you know, this is a brand new captain on board. They must be aware of what's happened as well between his uh, on his previous command on the Stargazer. Um, mm. So I wonder if there was any part of that crew that was going, what's going on? Why is he suddenly called Red Alert? And you can see them sort of look in between them. But, yeah, fair play on her. She's straight up saying, well, didn't you hear him? You know, mm. he said, red alert, get to your stations. But then, yeah, we see them in engineering. He 100% trusts O'Brien to be the chief engineer yeah. um, because he knows what will happen to him. He knows his um, his ultimate, fi- well, wrong words, his ultimate destiny on Deep Space Nine, if you like. Yeah, He knows his ability. He knows about the fact that he made starships as a kid. Um, yeah. And you can see from O'Brien's face, it's like, how do you know that? I I read your crew report, of course. Mm. Um, Which is a great throwback to a pre-tart sequence or a previous episode. So it's uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think one we just we just covered recently. I think it might even be. Um, it's the victory one, isn't it? The HMS victory. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, because it's it's the running joke about um I. I never built um, Starship, so I was, ne- I was never a boy, that sort of thing. Mm. I can't remember which episode yeah. that is off the top of my head, though. But yeah. yes, it's- I'm sure it's one we discovered recently, yeah. but yeah. It, again, it's like moments like that as well, like Norasati, like that. You know, little moments plucked from the show mm. add some additional context. It's lovely. It's really, really, really well done. Yeah. I, I, I love Data just walking walking by engineering. <laughs> that would not <laughs> it's be not rec- advisable to burn the midnight oil. <laughs> yeah. Did you spot the mistake, though? No. Data was not a Lieutenant Junior Grade in Encounter at Farpoint because Picard actually calls him Commander Data and he looks down at his pips as well. Um, no, he was a Lieutenant Commander in Encounter at Farpoint, but he's wearing Lieutenant Junior Grade pips in um, this past timeline. And uh, that's yeah. that's something I've never quite worked out. That, that's, I almost feel like a mistake, I don't know. Because they do such a good job of getting the moments yeah. right. I don't know why they do that, yeah. Yeah, everything else is superb. Because I was going to say as well about the attention to detail with things like the bridge layout and the observation lounge. Mm. Um, because you look at those side panels on the bridge of the Enterprise-D and by uh, by season seven, they're all these sort of what look like pull-out drawers, but they look more like cupboards. Mm. And yes, I am that geeky to notice. <laughs> but then you see the bridges, uh, sorry, the um, 
all of the models of the Enterprise on the observation lounge wall, which hadn't shown up since the fourth season. And it was, you know, it's attention to detail, so it's weird that they got the pips wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's odd. What about the stuff then with, uh, obviously, he takes the ship to the coordinates from Encounter Farpoint when they first meet Q, and there's and Q's not there. I kind of love that kind of rant on the bridge, and everyone's going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> but what do you think? It's a letter of the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, love that moment, yeah. But what do you think of the big reveal then from John Delance's Q as we discover that the humanity of Troy has ended and has gone badly? When he appeared, I did wonder about those rumours that I was talking about earlier yeah. on. It's like, oh no, please don't do this. But it's a great scene, and I love the moment as well where he says, I will answer any ten questions yes. as long as they're yes or no. And Picard goes along with it for a while, and he asks, asks those two questions by mistake. Is it a Romulan plot? Is it a ploy something? And he goes, no and no. That's five questions. Four. And he says, oh, are you responsible for sending me through time? Yes. Why? That's it. Time up. I'm not yeah. answering any more of your questions. Yeah. The, well, I think, I think, I think he, doesn't, he doesn't ask a yes, no question, wasn't it? So Picard yeah. mucks up. But I love that scene. I think it's a really, really good scene. And it's great to see the big... Yeah, the big fantastic floating throne again is, is wonderful. <laughs> and the judge's robes. He yes. always looks so good in the judge's robes. I'm I'm really glad when they brought back Q in Lower Decks, he had those robes again. Because yes. that's, that's the iconic Q look, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I want to go back and watch that episode again now. <laughs> yeah. And also, in that scene as well, you know, we t- I mentioned it earlier, the reveal that Charles never ended and now a vote has been given... And he goes, you know, you you, you squandered your, um, you squandered the last seven years. I love, I try to remember what the moments are, but he talks about Data's quest for humanity and Worf's honour and all, and, and he's almost like the audience kind of going, these are the big things that Next Gen always does. And he's almost like the audience nitpicking at what they've done mm. on the show. And I think I think that was a really good moment from Q as well. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. It's a fantastic story. Fantastic. It is. Um, sorry, fantastic scene, I should say. I think, I think in the if you do it as a two-part, this is probably the cliffhanger, and, and you know, it's a great cliffhanger, mm. but obviously most versions of all the things treat it as a feature-length movie. So uh, the second half, then, of, of this feature-length movie sees the creation of the anomaly with the tachyon pulses. But before we get to that, there are some great moments across all the three timelines. Um in the present, I love that we get a cameo from Tomalok. Obviously, Andreas Katsoulis, who you know, and me is a Babylon 5 fan, love him as Jakar, mm-hmm. love him as Tomalok as well. And I really I really love the cameo from Tomalok, but also in that present, I also really like um, Data's description of the Q-Picard relationship as well. That was quite <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh, what did he say? Something about a, a, a loving pet. Q, or Q's something. interest has always been similar a to master to, and a pet. Yeah, master and a beloved, beloved pet as well. And, and Picard's <laughs> face is like uh, Data's got it spot on, but Picard's face is is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, Data can't see what he said wrong at that point, but yeah, it, it's hilarious. And yeah, I had a feeling you'd pick up on Tom Love showing <laughs> up um, because. Uh, Yes, I know about um, your Babylon 5 love. And uh, yeah, it's, it was good to see uh, him again. And this would have been presumably deep into Babylon 5 filming? Uh, this is what, 90? Yeah, this is basically around 94? season... Yeah, into season one now. So yeah, he's uh, busy doing Chikar. And I love Tom Locker, not because of my love of Babylon 5, but because Andreas Soulis is so good. 
I, I mean, mm. he does pop up in a couple times in season three, and I think we've got that kind of alternate future with the Riker. Is it, is it Future Imperfect? Future Imperfect, yeah. And this one, which technically both of those are kind of alternate timelines now, but I would have loved to have seen Tom Lock as more of a recurring character, and mm. uh, so it's great that you get him back again. I know he shows up, uh, I want to say, a couple more episodes, and it's actually Tomalock and not a parallel timeline. Yeah, but, I think it's just uh, season three. I think the, the, the true Tomalock, I think it's just, I think it's the enemy and uh, yeah. and the uh, defector. Yeah, two really, yes. really good episodes, yeah. Yeah, so again, a character brought back from a couple of seasons previously. So, mm, yeah, they're yeah. really dipping into the show's history. They really are, yeah. So the future storylines then continues to have fun with the old crew dynamic. You, know, you mentioned uh, Worf, Governor Worf, beans aboard the Pasteur. It's before he comes aboard and uh, Picard plays the honour card to get what he wants. And Worf knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, going, yeah, yeah. You have no honour. And, yeah, and, yeah, and that's how you get... How and he, he throws the help. stuff across the table because he, he knows... Yeah, yeah, yeah that's you're right. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Now, I've got to say, I much prefer the Worf. We're going to get Picard of Picard mm. in 3 because that Worf is... Is, is comedy gold. Yeah. Every single line Worf says in Picard Season 3 is brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. So let's maybe talk about the parson as well. So we, we get that um that wonderful engage to where... And again, I love the editing, the way... The editing in this episode is so good, and we'll get more of that mm. towards the end, but I love how it kind of... You'll say a line, I'll switch to a different timeline, and it impacts, but it's so definitely done. It's beautifully done. And I think the... Uh, in the future, he goes engage, and then Tasha goes engage to where the Devon yeah. system. <laughs> it's like and the way where he kind of keeps up is, is really really fun. But uh, I do like in those uh, moments when we get uh, obviously Troy finally calling Picard out on his erratic decisions as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, some good, good good stuff there. But uh, I think the the main thing that I really liked in the second half as well is we get into the nitty gritty of the story and the eruption of the anomaly and anti time that gets bigger as it goes back through time. So what, what what do you think of the whole concept then of the uh, tachyon beam causing the eruption of anti-time and the idea of this anomaly getting bigger the back through time you get? That's a great science fiction concept, isn't it? You don't yeah. quite do it right, I think, because surely when they first get there in the future timeline, it should be there and it slowly disappears. Mm. Um, but I love the idea that it's it's something that Picard creates in the future and it yeah. gets bigger the further back it goes through time to the point whereby we see its impact on what would effectively be the birth of humanity um, as yeah. Q shows it so yeah it's a great science fiction concept and it's definitely one that's quite uh, that's a little bit tricky to wrap your head around and as I said I mm. think that's where he slightly got it wrong at the end uh, when um, in the future timeline where it's getting bigger. No, it should be getting smaller. Yes, but. yes. So I, I like how they create it now. It's a brilliant concept. I'm not sure if we, the idea... I mean, they kind of get away by calling it anti-time. But it kind mm. of... I, I guess it's, it's a kind of the, the big concept that Q's talking about. Getting your head around this is kind of really start to expand your mind. And that's how kind of Picard wins the and kind of saves humanity. But it's a fantastic concept. Uh, and I love, again, the idea that Picard... Uh, causes that as well. So yeah, so mm. it's really, really, really kind of. I'm not sure how much scientific basis that has in, in kind of any kind of uh, any kind of reality in terms of theory, theory, theory uh, of a kind of scientific theory. But uh, it's a very cool concept, nonetheless. Yeah. The one thing I really like about, obviously, going to the present as well, is you start, you start to see it get bigger. 
is the the effect on the, on the uh, present timeline, particularly with Geordie and Nurse Agoa. Yes, uh, Geordie's eyes start healing, and what happens to to Alyssa Agawa is tragic as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's fascinating to see the effects that they're having on them. And I was thinking back because we spoke about Genesis um, in one of our first episodes, and that's where we first yeah. find out that Agawa was pregnant, and unfortunately, her pregnancy ends in this episode. Well, it doesn't oh, because history gets rewritten. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah because t- time restores. I would like to have seen Ogawa come back. Does she come back in any of the films? She's in First Contact. She's definitely in First Contact with Crusher. I'm assuming she doesn't get assimilated. I really hope she doesn't. But uh, she's there in that in that scene when they evacuate and they use the EMH. I think Ogawa is there with with uh, Crusher as well. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right, but. Um... Yeah, we don't really see much of her after. No. Would have been nice to have seen her on um, on the Titan as the chief medical officer. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah quite possibly. <laughs> There's also a lot of really fun scenes with Q. I love where he just pops up, like the old man in the future that can't hear and goes, what's that, Sonny? <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. And of course, He's... you mentioned it as well, that trip to France, uh, three and a half billion years in the past. What yeah. do you think of those Q moments? Oh, it's Q at his best again. Um, yeah. Where it's like... Uh, Oh, life, life, you're, um, oh, what was, what did he say? Oh, there you are, trust me, that's you down there. Um, oh, look, they're all getting closer together and closer together, and, oh, nothing happened. If it wasn't for the fact that it's so dramatic, it would mm. be really, really funny. And yeah. John Delancey can play that, it's like, it's, it's effectively a universe, well, a humanity ending problem, but he's made it seem hilarious. Mm, um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Picard's look, you know, the shock look on Picard's face, and Q is effectively having a bit of a laugh and a joke with him. Yeah. But there's a merit as well, and what John Delancey does so well, he does, there's something incredibly serious happening. Yeah, the, the first amino acids to, to form the protein, mm. yeah, that becomes the, the building blocks of life. And it doesn't happen because of the anomaly. And, and I assume as well, it's happening everywhere because it's so specific. I assume, you know, everyone, Vulcans, Romans, Klingons, everyone, yeah. it's, it's happening across the... Across the uh, what what uh, does he say? It's, it's, it's now taking up the whole quadrant or something. Yeah. So everything um, we know about Star Trek, you know, I'm sure it was spread to Delta and Gamma Quadrants and everywhere as well. But really, it's like, you know, it is it's taking over the quadrant. Um, and I assume where it was, because it's in the mutual zone, it's probably Alpha and Beta Quadrants. So everything we know about Star Trek has been destroyed. That's yeah. actually, that's the stakes we're really talking about, not just humanity. And uh, it's um, staggeringly big, but John Delancey plays it so well because it's incredibly serious, high-stake subject matter, but he does this with this kind of wit and a charm that it's both funny and serious at the same time. Yeah, and that's why John Delancey is always worth watching 100%. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I, I love the, the uh, Born Back in Picard as well. It's, uh, he's always, always fun. So, talking of fun, of course, the Klingon attack in the future on the Pasteur and the arrival of Admiral Reich on the souped-up Enterprise-D. Are you a fan of, of this this version of the Enterprise-D? Oh, God. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit um, ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I have the Eagle Moss model of the um, anti-time future Enterprise-D uh, somewhere. And that third warp nacelle always looks wrong. It's weird. It reminds me of the alternate Enterprise that you see in Picard, 
the Star Killer or whatever it is. It's no, it. Mm. If if this is what the Enterprise D was going to become, then I'm kind of glad it got destroyed on Viridian Three. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, no, I really don't like it. Uh, what about you? I, I'm I'm the same. It, it's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. For I mean, the, the, the whole battle sequence is great. Mm. I love the uh, Klingon warships. Obviously, that one of those becomes Gowan's uh, flagship in. Uh, DS9 weighs the warrior, so I like how DS9 uses this, and again, these elements of this timeline appear. I think even like the uniforms in, in All Good Things are used, I think, in The Visitor in DS9, so they kind of allude mm. that this, this might be might happen. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great sequence. It's very, very fun. But um, the Enterprise D, it's really an old, an old man trying to live his glory days and pimping out his starship in the kind of most... <laughs> Midlife. Midlife crisis. <laughs> it, it's a it's a I mean, it's an entire represent, representation of Riker's midlife crisis. They basically put a third knee cell. You can go into Freud all you like. That's what <laughs> that's what you're going with this one. So yeah, it, it looks stupid. It looks ridiculous. I can't, it doesn't. I don't I mean really what makes. It, I don't really understand what it's really there for because um, yeah. I mean they talk about warp thirteen in this. I assume they've got past the salamander issue, but the pasteur can go to warp 13 as well. So it's not mm. like it, it requires a third knee cell to go to warp 13. So, yeah, it, I, I think it's Riker's giant midlife crisis. I will say one thing for the scene, though. The first appearance when it comes up from below, and I think it's one of the first times in Star Trek where you've seen that they actually realise space is three-dimensional because it yes. comes up from below, straight through the Klingon ship. That is glorious. Mm. But then you see the Enterprise D, and were you ever a fan of Knight Rider? Did you watch Knight Rider? Oh, I loved Knight Rider as a kid, yeah. Season 4's kit, with all of the stupid add-ons that they put on for Super Pursuit Mode, that's what the Enterprise D looks like. <laughs> In this yeah. scene, in this episode, yeah, give me the beautiful, sleek Enterprise anytime. Love e. you, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the scenes in Ten Forward? Um, obviously, there's a lot of talk around the fate of Troy. I mean, how do you think she died in this timeline? There's resentment between Riker and Worf, isn't there? Yeah, oh. I mean, she's been dead 20 years at this point, so we're talking five years in the future, which is. Which technically is smack bang in the middle of the de- of the Dominion War, if we're gonna kind of yeah, it's retroactively not, read it. It's not. I mean, that... ba- 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 yeah, Bayezid gets conquered, so you know, maybe maybe that... maybe that's the. Uh... But why would they have bad feelings for each other based on that? Yeah. Um, uh, unless they were, unless Worf was back on uh, Worf had taken Deanna to Bayezid, and Worf had come back and Be- and Deanna had died on Bayezid. I don't know. It's. Um... I don't know. <sighs> I mean, in some ways, I quite like the vagueness of it. Mm. I mean, it's it's, it's like um, how the Enterprise E was apparently destroyed, but isn't Worf's yes. fault. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, yeah, but and it was like, oh, well, I want to see that. It's like I don't actually need to see that. I love the no. Enterprise E, and don't mm. go on. If you said we're going to do a we're going to do a, a TV movie on Paramount Plus about War from the end of the Enterprise E, I'll watch the crap out of it. But I don't need to see it. No. It's same with this. I didn't need to see how Troy died, what was far more interesting, even though it is a very much that classic triple of the, the you know, fridge and the female, it was a fridge and a character, the female mm. character for the purposes of the male character, their reaction to it. And this is, this is kind of very much that trope. 
Yeah. I think it's what's more interesting about Troy's death is not how Troy died, it's Worf and Riker's reaction to that and how it's impacted yeah. them. Yeah, how they are meant to carry on and, and work together after it. So, yeah. 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 yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about the Frigian thing, and I I brought the Frigian thing up about about Rolaren in uh, Picard yeah. season three. So, yeah, yeah, and this is a much more an obvious version of that. But uh, mm. yeah, but again, again, it's been used a lot, and this is we're, we're talking '94 here, so yeah, things have changed, and a lot of stuff we see as tropes maybe weren't as as, as many as, as as common back back then as well. So, uh, but yeah, we don't we don't need to see it. Yeah, the fact that it's implied, yeah, you don't need yeah. to see it. I agree. Yeah, yeah, and because it didn't happen, well, it didn't absolutely, and thank God because I, I love Troy. You know, mm. you know, we would never have got Troy in a in Nepenthe, for example, or not, and obviously in Picard in three. Mm. So yeah, no, I, I always love him. So it's not. I love that she gets she gets things to do in in, in Picard as well. I they yeah. all do, to be fair. So that's all great. So obviously in the story, then once Picard realizes the tachyon pulses are causing the anomaly. What do you think of the climaxing with the three Enterprise Ds in the Devon system? It's absolutely enthralling watching them mm. communicating with each other. Yeah. Uh, as you see them actually all suddenly in the same area of space. And you see yeah. the three Enterprises. I mean, we'd kind of seen a bigger scale version of this again with the episode parallels earlier on in yes. the season. But this one, it was more important. It was... <sighs> Modern Star Trek is often criticised quite fairly for everything being, oh my god it's the end of life as we know it but they didn't do it that much with Next Generation or, you know, 90s era so this was like a proper oh my god, this could be the end of Star Trek as we know Mm. it despite Deep Space Nine carrying on for its second (laughs) season, but yeah it, it, it felt really threatening and yeah, absolutely you're there, edge of your seat watching it yeah, yeah Really good. Yeah, and I mentioned the editing, the cutting back and forth between timelines, and uh, the way Picard kind of rallies all the crews to to stop attacking poles and then go in to create this kind of static warp shell. It's really, really fast paced and effectively done. The only, the only thing that kind of struck me with this was um, rightly so. Tashiar questions his orders for risking the safety of the ship. Mm. Bear in mind, we've got we've got hundreds of people, families on board, and and I think the way he kind of bluffs the crew with a talk of greater purpose and tells them they're the finest crew in the fleet. I'm not sure I I buy that Yar and Troy would have gone, uh, no, mm. this is enough. But it needs to happen. So he, he gets that good speech that you know they are the finest crew, he has faith in them and uh, and because we've invested in Picard for seven years, we're on his side anyway. And we kind of glosses over the fact that I I, I kind of there are moments in this episode where I think they're not necessarily a mutiny, but as a point when they could go, we're going to stop now. We're not going to, we're not, going to not, we're not going to kick off the bridge, but we're not going to do anything until we talk this out. Yeah. And I know Troy tries it a bit as well, but get that putting that aside, it's it's so effectively done, and the cutting back and forth between them and uh, building up to the three enterprises. Um, I love there's a moment as well a shot where you zoom into Picard in the present present day uh, Enterprise on on the bridge that kind of it gets so intense as well. It's a uh, it's really fantastic. Mm. And then, of course, then you get the Enterprises. One by one, they blow up, and the stakes just get higher and higher and higher as well. Yeah. And as you say, it's that it's the early Enterprise crew where they don't know where this new captain is coming from. Mm. And you can tell that the later ones, they don't need that 
reassurance because they know Picard, they trust Picard. One crew has known him for seven years, which is fine. The other crew has known him for 30 years, so they're happy to go along with him. No, I, I agree. And I, so, yeah, I think there's a little bit of kind of dispense um, of disbelief with the, with the past crew that they go along as, as much as they do. You know, the fact this captain, from the word go, is making erratic decisions and then sends them into, a, into an anomaly that's going to destroy them and does destroy them as well. Yeah. And they go along. I'm a little bit like, maybe that feels like a little bit a step too far. You, you've got to kind of take a leap of faith for it. But as I said, because... As an audience member, you've been with Ricard seven years. It's almost like in the present and the future, Picard's earned that faith in the crew. Mm. In the past, it's kind of the audience's faith in Picard that drives drives that plot. Yeah, you, you do wonder about that younger crew sort of taking a step back and going, no, I don't, no. <laughs> I don't trust you. I don't know that you're doing our best efforts. And as I said based on the fact that they know what happened with the Stargazer, mm. you know, that there must be questions being asked. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I guess there's a moment early on when I think uh, Picard asks Troy if he ever caught, called Red Alert in the uh, shuttle bay when he came on board, mm. and she says no. So there's almost that element of he knows it's not going to affect that. This is almost like not the real past yeah. timeline. It's not the events that happened. Um, mm. Encounter at Firepoint happened. So it's almost like you can kind of just deal with the, the here and now rather than obviously worrying about uh, ramifications. Then we say that, that almost doesn't make sense itself, does it? Because there's a, there's a captain's log where he goes, I can't tell the crew what's going on because I can't upset the timeline. But I think by this point, surely you've got to tell them because otherwise, and that may, maybe that might have worked better if he basically explained it and then like Troy goes, he's telling the truth. There's something about what you say is true. Mm. And they followed him. I, I, I don't know, maybe they're a bit cheesy, but... Uh, but it, it's a, it's a small niggle I think I have with with that storyline with with the past timeline certainly. Yeah, I, I I do agree with you on that one. Yeah, and then we get the final scene with Picard and Q in the courtroom. What do you think of this, both as a as a full circle moment from Encounter at Farpoint, and then again in light of the events that followed in Star Trek Picard? It, it's it's a nice little underlining of the scenes. I mean, you know, f- we think potentially this is going to be the last we're going to see of Q. And it's sort of like drawing a line under that part of their lives. Mm. And it was, Uh, for Picard, certainly the crew of the Enterprise, it was decades before they saw him again. Yeah. And, you know, from Q's point of view, he is delighted that Picard has fixed it. He's managed to sort out what's going on. Because he says, oh, you know, and for a split second, you saw much more than you were capable of seeing. Mm. Over the years, there's the, this whole thing with Picard and Q as being these adversaries. But there's a definite shared respect between the two. Picard doesn't fully trust him. And Q obviously still thinks he's, you know, an example of humanity, which he's putting on trial. But there's a friendship there. There's definitely a connection yeah. between the two people. Yeah, well, it's the fact that Q kind of had a hand in moving Picard through time. I'm not sure, again, if you if you think too deeply, because if Picard hadn't moved through time, he wouldn't have created the, the anomaly. I don't, I don't know, but I think the idea that Q was there kind of going, what about this? Think about this. Here's, you know, he, he gave him mm. some clues to help him. It's yeah. almost like he was working at the behest of the Q continuum, but he's still friends with Picard, and even though mm. he's kind of limited his role... He does try and help Picard too, which I, I like as well. Yeah. 
And we kind of see that again then later on with Picard because, you know, mm. he's the reason why why they end up in the alternate timeline. They, it, he's the reason why they end up going back in time to 2024, I think it is. Um, so even though he's sort of there poking the beast and trying to get things, uh, other things going on with, um, uh, with Sung's ancestor, mm. there's still... That thing whereby he's trusting Picard to do the right thing and to fix things. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so before we get the uh, to the uh, famous poker game closer, we jump back to the start of the episode. And this is the Marvin Eagle. If, he's, if things have been reversed and never happened, mm. shouldn't he have jumped to an earlier point? Because he was already jumping through time when the episode began. So... Surely, I, I know I can see why it works brilliantly. The fact that we jump back to the beginning of the episode and nothing happened, and, and it works, it works mm. absolutely. But if you think about it, Picard should have jumped back a day a or two days, earlier. Yeah, it's yeah. The, mag- <laughs> the one thing that bugs me with this episode is the magic reset button. And Picard, I assume, would have memories of what goes mm. on. But well, he does, he, tell, others... he tells the crew, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, um, and obviously none of the others none of the other characters know anything about this mm-hmm. from their past i mean they he tells them about what their future lives would be but yeah i agree with you it's uh, it's a bit of a flat mm. illogical moment yeah it should have been yeah. a couple of episodes a couple of days earlier well exactly and also because you write i think you write about the kind of the the magic re- redo because absolutely the the past and future enterprises get destroyed and the future mm. timeline has changed but there's no reason you don't actually see the present day enterprise d get destroyed so mm. there's no reason why they couldn't have ended there the anomaly's gone and they're still in the different system and it's like they carry on from there and they've yeah. lived those experiences it might have made a bit more a bit more a bit more sense to have to carry on rather than to go back but i, I don't know yeah because it it doesn't really make sense when you think about where he's jumped back to, but I think it's all a case as well of undoing what's happened because you know we talked about Ogawa's baby, we talked about Geordie's yeah. eyes. Yeah. Um, finishing off the episode, I think they wanted to have the status quo restored. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to end with uh, a girl lost her baby and half the people got um, reverted back. Yeah, it's a we don't want another Genesis. Do we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, let's finish off with that poker game scene. Mm. It's a moment that that was lovingly homage at the end of Picard season three too. What do you think? Of it, what do you think of it as a series closer here at the end of the next generation? It always brings a tear to my eye. Yeah, because you get Picard walking in. I should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. And he starts dealing the cards, and he he looks around the crew one by one, and you know they've been on a hell of a seven year journey together, and mm. at this point, they haven't destroyed the Enterprise long term, they haven't done anything effectively which ends the series. It's a case mm. of. If that was it, if that was the end of Star Trek The Next Generation, they could have gone on to have other adventures, mm. which we didn't see. They obviously then went on to Generations and the Enterprise was destroyed. But if Generations didn't happen, 
yeah, you could see them going off and having more adventures, and they would carry on with their with their rank progression. Riker would become captain in the next couple of years. Doctor Crusher would end up in Starfleet Medical. Uh, Geordi would work for Daystrom. You could see parts of the future coming true. Yes, Data would end up working in Cambridge University, was it? Yes. You could see parts of those futures coming true. And, yeah, it's it's a nice ending to the story. And the fact that Picard joins them for the poker game as well, really, really nice. Although it's can, lovely, yeah. Yeah. Although I'm surprised Picard didn't suggest that they start playing bridge or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lovely moment, and yeah, you're you're always welcome. It, and the way that the music as it pans over the table again, mm. Picard did this lovely homage to this as well, and didn't diminish this as well. I think Picard, in their kind of homage to this finale, doesn't diminish the emotional impact of this either. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great great final scene, and that music and the final shot of the Enterprise D, it's all it's all beautifully done. Yeah. I think you're right, and I think I think they I think they jumped into filming the like generations like a week later. So it must mm. have been a weird thing where this is the end, but it's not the end. And I'm you know, people find fault in the next generation movies and there are definitely flaws. Consistently they're not as good as the TOS movies, the original Kirk ones. Though we obviously we talked about First Contact is a wonderful, wonderful one of our favourite Star Trek movies, if not I think your favourite Star Trek movie, isn't it? Yeah. But it's almost like um, I love Enterprise E and I love First Contact. I like the other films, but I kind of wish they went. Let's wait a couple of years. Let's because mm. the the one thing I think that Generations does is watching Next Generation. This is a beautiful, perfect, perfect ending with those possibilities, the lovely open endedness, without while also bringing some closure as well to the show. It's it's so perfectly spot on in its approach. And then Generation comes along and kind of goes, oh no, this is the end, and this is what we do with the Enterprise D, and this is what we're going to do, and we're going to destroy the Enterprise D and go big, and it just kind of, I think, maybe Generation's slight diminishes all good things by its close proximity to to this. I know it would have come out a few months later, but I kind of wish they'd waited, had the patience and gone, you know what, let's give it two or three years, and then we're going to do generations i think it may have had more impact then yeah because you said as well that they're doing you know that there's only about a week later before they work on generations after they finish filming all good things don't forget while they're filming all good things they're filming the kirk scotty and Chekhov scenes as well on the enterprise Mm. b so you know that is going on at the same time they're filming kirk's era enterprise b scenes while they're filming all good things and then yeah they dive straight into filming generations um they've got deep space nine still being filmed somewhere else on the paramount lot this voyager as well on horizon yeah yeah, voyager's getting ready to be launched Uh, i mean that doesn't come out for like another seven or eight months um i think but uh yeah there's a lot going on in that Paramount mm, Studio lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I wish they'd had the patience. And there's a lot of like about Generations, but also it's not perfect. Yeah. I, and maybe because, again, proximity, this All Good Things is so perfect as a finale. It Again, it, all... Generations is almost diminished by all good things, and generations almost diminishes all good things at the same time by how close they are together. I wish they'd 
had that confidence to go, let's take a couple of years. We will contract you for a movie. In a couple of years' time, we're going to bring you back and we're going to do a big Next Generation movie. But right now, let's just enjoy the end and enjoy and appreciate the end of, of the Next Generation, which, which is what this is. Yeah. 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 They may, might have done one more original series cast movie, then do Next Generation, say, yeah. possibly at the end of Voyager's run. But um, that's yeah. not what we got. Um, one yeah. question for you then. Because obviously we've discussed that this is like one of TV's greatest finales. Mm. What other finales can you think of that's up, that are up there? Oh, great finales. Um, There's one that comes I mean, straight to my mind. I want to see if you say it as well. Right. It's not as good. I think the DS9 finale is mm-hmm. pretty um, pretty great though as well. There's so much good stuff in the DS9 finale. Yeah. Not Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, the Picard one, the Picard one's quite good. No, yeah. for me, um, for me, I've heard, I've heard anything about great finales. Um, Six feet under, such mm-hmm. a beautiful, beautiful finale. Um, I don't know, say it, Battle Five, Battle Five finale, a beautiful, beautiful emotional finale too. Frasier, that finale really, really just resonates with me as well. There, are, there, are, there are many, really great ones. Um, and yeah, this is up there with them. What about, what about you? What, what, what kind of great TV finales for you? Quantum Leap's final episode is one of the greatest in my mind. How I Met Your Mother uh, has got a great ending, in my opinion. See, I, I like that's a controversial one, but I quite like the way it's, uh, for the most part, I quite like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to say Life on Mars, but then that kind of gets changed with all um, with Ashes to Ashes. Yeah. Um, but the Ashes to Ashes series finale is one of the greatest as well. Not Lost. <laughs> see, see, you know, you say about uh, Mother. I quite like the the uh, finale of um, of uh, Lost. I, I think I think that and actually Battlestar as well. I quite like the finale of Battlestar. Again, no, maybe a controversial. That's another one. controversial one. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, there, there are many. There are only a um, couple of years ago. The Good Place finale was again. It's the, oh, the more emotional beats. That. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, uh, and when I think of like when I think of like this poker game scene in in the next generation i think about the kind of the final moments of all the characters and if you've seen six foot under the final sequence which he drives off when you see the deaths of all the characters it's like mm. a gut punch so you know babylon five the departure of the characters mm. death of the station um frazier doing that final radio broadcast with everyone behind him the good place when they say their goodbyes the best finales for me are the ones that have that emotional gut punch and mm. that's why i think that's why i think this is really good because it has a really great bonkers con- a kind of sci-fi concept of anti-time and time travel and all this stuff thrown in the mix with some greatest hits without over over egging the pudding and then finishes off with some you know a lovely cure Picard moment and then the absolutely beautiful final uh final scene, scene. at yeah. the poker, poker table yeah i agree yeah so any uh kind of final thoughts or trivia on all the things you want to share Ah, uh, not really. I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, oh, actually, no. There, there is one more note I had. I loved the way that they, uh, they contacted Farpoint Station um, at one point in the episode. They send the message back. Oh, and yeah. Picard talks to Commander Riker without his beard. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you could tell it's from another episode in Next Gen's first season. I'm, um, I'm pretty sure it it's... sounds like it's from the... I, I thought it was the Hardex scene from Encounter at Farpoint, but I may be wrong. No, um, 
uh, I mean, it's Jonathan Frakes doing a brand new voiceover. Apart yeah, from but the, says, the, the yeah, actual visual correct. of Rice. Yeah, I, you, I um, completely agree. Yeah, it's, uh, Paul. It's command. Uh, sorry, Captain Paul Rice is in it. I think it's Arsenal of Freedom. Oh yeah, I know the one. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, really well done. Mm, it but, is. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see young Riker without the beard again, who we wouldn't <laughs> see again until season three of Picard. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that's it. I think um, it's been, you know, it's been great talking all the things. I'm really glad we've come back to this before we finish the podcast mm. because it's a great finale. It's a great TV finale and it's a beautiful ending to uh, Next Gen. So uh, yeah, as I said, that's it. That's the end of our Star Trek The Next Generation journey here on Holosuit Media. But as we said last episode, Jeff, it's not the end for us, is it? No, it is not. We are... We are staying together. We're joining the team over on Make It So. Make It So uh, is a Star Trek Picard, or was a Star Trek Picard podcast for the last three seasons. Now that Picard has finished, it's um, turning over to more of a Star Trek legacy thing. And I think they're kind of hoping that the, the whole Picard timeline carries on going. But they're looking into things from the 24th century, early 25th century as well. So they're looking now at things like Lower Decks and Prodigy. They're going to be looking at any Star Trek Legacy spin-off series that come about. And we're joining the team as well to do little episodes where we carry on looking back at this whole era of Star Trek. So for us, it means that we don't just get to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation. We can talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager, but obviously we can also dip into Lower Decks, Prodigy, and anything from those eras as well. That will be part of the Make It So podcast, uh, which I think are doing currently a run of episodes on Star Trek Resurgence, the comic book series prequel to the video game that's coming out. So yeah, that's what we'll be doing next, but for Beyond Farpoint, that's that's come to the end of the road for us it has yeah it's um i say it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you to everyone who's listened to us along the way and to everyone at horosuit media who supported us on beyond five points as you say all good things must come to an end but we hope you'll join us on the next stage as jeff mentioned of our star trek podcasting journey on make it so over the we made this podcast network so jeff always a pleasure i'm glad we're going to keep talking star trek but um it's always been a pleasure talking next gen with you here on beyond Farpoint. it's been a pleasure to talk star trek with you for the last two years baz wonderful and as always let's play out with some wise words from captain john luke picard thanks for listening goodbye let's see what's out there engage <laughs>